Welcome to this episode of SDI Encounters, a podcast from SDI, the home of spiritual companionship. I'm Matt Whitney. Today on SDI Encounters, we begin a four-part series on the exploration of sexuality in spiritual companionship. Facilitated by Frederica Helmier, we present to you a series of perspectives from several spiritual directors, pastors, and guides on how they approach sexuality in their roles as spiritual companions. These episodes are offered in conjunction with SDI's upcoming webinar series, Spiritual Companionship and the Divine Erotic, Ethics, and Sexuality, which you can learn more about at sdicompanions.org. With that, here's Frederica to tell you a bit more about this series and then her conversation that she had with spiritual director and psychotherapist Karen Ehrlichman. Hi, SDI podcast listeners. This is Frederica Helmier. Some of you may have heard my voice here and there on the podcast over the past year. I wanted to take a minute to introduce the podcast you're about to listen to, which is the first of a four-part series on spiritual companionship and sexuality and sex and intimacy. I've been interested in this topic for a while, and I'm also interested in why it can be so sensitive and uncomfortable to talk about this. We have really complicated scripts around this topic. There is a whole lot of shame and guilt and baggage that gets brought in when we open up these gates and talk about this. And perhaps you, listener, are like me and grew up in a context where your views on sex and sexuality and bodies were informed by um, theological or spiritual concerns, the, the space you grew up in, in my case, in the Catholic Church and in the Evangelical Church. And, you know, there's some purity culture stuff, and it's also just the waters that we swim around in, uh, in, our, in our culture. Um, it makes it hard to talk about this. But I think it's really important to And so I started out last fall interviewing a woman who you'll hear in the third installment in this series. She is an ordained UCC minister named Beverly Dale, who teaches an inclusive, science-friendly, and sex-positive Christianity to clergy and to sexologists and healthcare providers. And Bev and I had a fascinating conversation together. Uh, And at the end of it, I was debriefing, and some of us on the staff here at SDI thought that it would really enrich the conversation to bring in a few more voices and a few more perspectives on the topic. Uh, And that grew into what we have now, which is this beautiful four-part series. I ended up recording interviews with four additional people after Bev. I spoke with Westina Matthews who is a professor in contemplative spiritual direction at GTS in New York City, and the Reverend Dr. Tommy Watkins, who is a behavioral health social worker and the first openly gay ordained black priest in the Diocese of Alabama. So Estina and Tommy and I spoke together, and you'll hear their voices next week. And I spoke with Langston Kahn, a black, queer, New York City-based shamanic practitioner specializing in radical human transformation. And you'll hear from Langston at the end. 
And finally, I spoke with the woman who you'll hear from today launching this series, Karen Ehrlichman. Karen is a psychotherapist, a Jewish spiritual director and soul coach, and she designed and taught a course in the Institute of Transpersonal Psychology called Spiritual Guidance, Sexuality, and the Divine Erotic. And in fact, Karen is uh, offering an advanced practice webinar series with SDI coming up soon in August on ethics and sexuality and spiritual direction. And so this uh, original just idea that, gosh, this is an interesting topic that we ought to explore in a, a quick podcast interview has turned into many conversations and this series that you're about to hear this is a vast topic. It's a complicated topic. And all we're going to do is just dip our toes in the waters briefly today and over the next three weeks. And what I'd like to encourage you to do as you listen to this and hopefully the next couple podcasts is to uh, offer yourself patience and grace as you listen to what these um, beautiful souls have to say on this topic. So thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy. Hi, Karen. Hi there. <laughs> I'm so glad to be able to talk with you today. Me too. Um, so let's let's dive right into this really important and beautiful and very fraught topic of spiritual companionship and sexuality and embodied spirituality. I want to begin by asking you about how this comes up in spiritual direction sessions. So spiritual companions and directors may be, but in most cases probably are not also trained as a sex therapist or a regular therapist or a psychologist, roles in which they might have not only received some training, but are, are roles that are more explicitly inclusive of explorations into the realm of sexuality. So I wanted to ask you, what do you think is the role of a spiritual companion around helping their directee or their client develop a healthy sexual ethic? For me, the, the work of spiritual direction or the ministry of spiritual companioning is very much an open space in which the the seeker is invited to bring whatever is stirring in their inner life. And maybe it's what's stirring in their outer life too, but really the focus of spiritual direction is about the soul. And that includes things like passion and energy and connection and the body. And that every spiritual director does this differently. So I would never say that how I work with people is the right way. It just happens to be my way. I really want spiritual direction to be a brave space for people. And that means a space in which people can bring what I would call potent topics that they may not feel like they have a place for, that they may be reluctant to discuss with a clergy person or even a therapist or a close friend, but that feel powerful, important, and intimate to them. And maybe within a spiritual context can be held with the kind of respect and reverence that is so much at the heart of the ethic of what we do as spiritual directors. 
So that's kind of a general answer to your question. And just in terms of, for me, what is the, the ethical foundation of spiritual direction as a place where people bring all kinds of stuff to us. And from my perspective, if everything a seeker brings to a session is polite and clean and polished and neat, then I'm doing something wrong because life is not polished and neat and clean and simple. And, um, and also that it be a non-judgmental space. It's not only would I want spiritual direction to be a space that's free of shame, but that is also a place to heal shame. So sexuality being a place that is often laden with shame for a lot of people, not everybody, but for some people, particularly in relationship to more conservative or restrictive religious experiences. I think spiritual direction is a profound healing space for people. I want to dig in a little bit more to the way that this role is different than that of, say, clergy or a therapist. So I am new both to the whole kind of world of spiritual direction. This has been the waters I've been swimming in for a little over a year now with SDI, and I have begun to visit and meet with a spiritual director, actually three of them, and it's been delightful. But this is new for me. So you've been doing this for many, many years, Karen, and I am still for myself trying to understand how are these sessions different than sitting down with a therapist? How are they different than going in for pastoral care? And how are they different than sitting down with a dear friend who knows me very well and cares about me? And when we're talking about sex and sexuality coming up in this space, what is it that a spiritual director or a companion can do or ought to do that is different than those other roles? That's a great question. And as somebody who does serve in those multiple roles, it, I have worked very hard to be very clear about which role I'm in. And I think the role of a therapist, for example, is not that there isn't a transformative or even a transpersonal component to psychotherapy, because I think there is, depending on how you do it, but we are exploring the mystery together in spiritual direction. And it doesn't presume right or wrong, healthy or unhealthy, normal or abnormal. It may be a place where people are exploring where they feel out of alignment with their true essence and where that might be causing them distress. So because of that, I think it's extremely important for spiritual directors to always be in supervision and to be doing our own work on the issues that are challenging to us. So that if a directee or a spiritual guidance client comes with a question that is challenging to us, we need to look at that as the way that that person is holding up a mirror to our own soul and our own inner lives and what we need to do in order to be able to show up fully with and for that person. So there are all kinds of ethical challenges that people bring up in spiritual direction, but since we're here to talk about sexuality, the topic of sexuality was part of my own spiritual direction training with the Sisters of Mercy. So one might be surprised to hear that, but in the context of their ministry and that formation process, that sexuality was seen as something that would be a topic that would come up in spiritual direction and that it could be understood within a religious context. And I remember really vividly sitting in that class and one of the women religious who was also in the training program said to me something to the effect of, just because I don't engage in sexual behavior doesn't mean I don't have a sexuality. 
it was like a profoundly humbling moment for me as somebody who's been a feminist and an activist and in the LGBT community for a long time. And, and also as a Jewish person, sexuality was always presented to me as another divine emanation that because we are created in the image of the sacred, that our sexuality is also sacred. So I wasn't raised with those religious trappings that made sexuality a fraught topic theologically. But it was also, it really opened up my eyes and my heart to the question of what is our sexuality? It's so much more than behavior or acts of sexual expression. It's an energy. It's a connection to our essence. It's creation. It's life-giving. It's who we are, mind, body, spirit. It's prayer. It's everything we do. So as spiritual directors, our work, if I could just get very traditional for a moment, is to get out of the way so that that seeker can explore what is meaningful and sacred to them in this context about sexuality. We're not there to give moral teachings or write answers or take a position on what is right and wrong. We are there to really sit with people from the most generous, loving, non-judgmental place within ourselves as possible. And because you used the word fraught earlier, because the topic of sexuality is so fraught with so much cultural weightiness and the way that sexuality is policed or enforced. It's not just loaded theologically, it's loaded politically. It's a topic to be handled and to be explored with great sensitivity and gentleness, I would say. I'm just going to give you like a couple of examples of seekers who've come my way where the topic of sexuality has come up. And I do this 100% protecting confidentiality. So I just want to say that. Certainly holding retreats and working one-on-one with other people in the LGBTQ community around sexuality has been an important part of my service. I also have worked with several people in spiritual direction who are part of the leather community and who consider the leather community to be their spiritual community. Mm -hmm. And I've had people come to spiritual direction talking about affairs they've had, uh, infidelity, people talking about sexual trauma, people talking about having sexual fantasies in a religious context. People have come to spiritual direction because their spiritual teacher was sexually exploiting other members of the community. There was this recent controversy about John Vanier, who had been sexually exploiting seekers in spiritual direction. And so that's a very charged example, but it is also an example of how both spirituality and sexuality are fundamentally very charged issues and kind of charged energy fields or territory, whatever language you want to use. And so we need desperately to have places in which people can explore those issues so that we can have ethical spaces, because what is unexamined sometimes can become harmful. Karen Ehrlichman provides psychotherapy, spiritual direction, supervision, and soul coaching in San Francisco with a mind-body-spirit approach to healing. 
Karen's writings have been published in numerous journals, blogs, and anthologies, including Presence, Tikkun, Feminist Studies and Religion, and in the Interfaith Anthology, Spiritual Guidance Across Religions. She's passionate about creating diverse and welcoming spaces for liberation, embodied spirituality, and community. Her website is karenerlichman.com. Support for this podcast comes from SDI's upcoming webinar, Spiritual Companionship and the Divine Erotic, Ethics and Sexuality. In this two-part webinar, we will explore embodied spirituality, sexuality, and the divine erotic as they relate to the practice of spiritual companionship. Join us for this practice-based training designed for spiritual companions, guides, and directors. Learn more on our website, www.sdicompanions.org. And now, here's part two of our conversation. Oh, there's so much richness. I have all these different directions I want to go in. Uh, let me circle briefly back to your training. You mentioned that with Sisters of Mercy, that this was an explicit part of your training as a spiritual director. This is something that I and, and others on staff at SDR are very interested in learning more about. In fact, we're conducting a survey at the moment to learn a little bit more about what is involved, what's included in all the various different ways that people go through some sort of a training or a formation or a, a shaping so that they emerge as a spiritual companion in all its different manifestations. And I do not know how many programs or how many trainings include this explicitly. Do you have a sense of the equipment or the tools that spiritual directors or companions are being given as they prepare to offer this? This service, this craft to others? I really appreciate your question because from a teaching, training, and formation standpoint, it raises up both the content of spiritual direction, the topics, the themes, the issues that people bring, as well as the foundation, the toolbox, and the resources that spiritual companions have to actually sit with people? How do we create space for people? I am somebody who on a very basic level leans into the SDI ethical guidelines. For me, the ethical container is the foundation of everything. All of our skills, all of our tools, every book we read, all of our experiences, every single real play we've ever done rests in the ethical foundation of what we do. So for me, that's the starting point for everything. And I actually, I don't have the ethical guidelines in front of me, but I sort of feel like I want to go look at them. I don't, because I don't remember. There certainly are things in there about boundaries and respecting the dignity of another person, but I don't know that there is mention or needs to be specific mention of sexuality. But for me, that ethical framework is key. And then from that ethical framework, you're sort of getting into my teaching pedagogy here a little bit. We then have the basic tools, principles, and practices of spiritual guidance that transcend every wisdom tradition, right? There are some basic things that are true to spiritual guides in all kinds of cultures, religions, etc. And then there's the theological nuances of that. So we as directors really need to know who we are and who we are becoming and make sure that we are doing our own work. And it's this is something that we say all the time, but it would be interesting to know like how many spiritual directors really actually are in supervision, how many really are in peer supervision groups, how many really are willing to say, I had a directee who came in and was talking about something that made me so uncomfortable and I feel terrible about it. 
and this is really hard for me to talk about publicly. So that's what I mean when I say I, I want there to be brave space. I also think that my training as a therapist lends itself well because, or as a social worker, I started out as a social worker, because I was trained before I became a spiritual director to ask people about really uncomfortable topics, to ask them about addiction, to ask them if they'd ever been abused, to ask them if they made themselves throw up, to ask them all kinds of things that are deeply personal. So not only do I then feel not only free, but obligated to also ask them about their spiritual life, but also to inquire about their sexuality. And that doesn't mean, tell me what you're doing. It's not about the details of sexual behavior, but it's more, how do you experience that part of yourself? And that's true in spiritual direction too. Like part of what we're doing is encountering the mystery in relationship with the seeker. Yeah. So I want to know what's important to that person, to that directee or that client what they're afraid of, what gives them joy, what gives them pleasure, how they feel about their bodies, what does all of that have to do with God. So I need to tend to in myself, where do I, I'm sort of, I'm backing away with my body as I'm saying it, like where do I back away and where do I lean in and what do I need to understand about myself so that I can be fully present to this person in their unfolding life. You shared a question a moment ago, Karen, about one way in which you would kind of explicitly invite this. Can you offer a couple of ways, a couple of the questions or the words that you might use in a session to make that space be brave for a moment and, and invite this out? Absolutely. First thing is in those first couple of sessions, and I'm focusing on one-on-one -on -one spiritual direction right now, but this could be applied in another way in working with groups or leading retreats. But is what I'm explaining to you right now about this ethical framework is exactly what I say to people in introducing spiritual direction. Because even if somebody comes to spiritual direction and they know what it is, I end up with a lot of people who have never been in direction before. So often those people will come in and say, well, what is spiritual direction exactly? My friend or my minister recommended I come talk to you about my spirituality, but I never heard of spiritual direction before. So they're coming in with no expectations, or maybe somebody who's been in direction before and is looking for something new or something different now. I feel like it's really important for me to be able to say, well, let me tell you about how I work with people so that they understand what they're signing up for. And so there is a conversation about brave space and about honoring the dignity of the person and about ethics and not like a long sermon about it, but just to say, well, this is what I do and this is how it works. And, and I will say something like, my hope is that this will be a place in which you feel that you can talk about whatever matters most to you. And I would not want you to feel afraid to talk about anything. Something to that effect mm -hmm. that just says to people, I'm not afraid of big, scary topics. Have you ever had a moment with someone where you have been caught off guard or sort of thrown off or you didn't actually know in that moment what to say or what to do around spirituality and sexuality? Oh, definitely. Well, that exa the example I gave about companioning somebody from the leather community, I really needed to educate myself, learn more, and ask questions about what matters most to that person, what mattered most to that person, and how was that connected to their spirituality, what was important to them about that community. So noticing what my own reaction is, what we sometimes call counter-transference in the therapy world, but also 
This is where I feel like working with a director whose life experience or religion may be different, that in that place of difference is a particular way in which we encounter the divine. And so that's just for me. And as a director, to have the ability and the language, to your point, like concrete specific ways, when somebody is bringing up a topic or describing something that I don't know or I don't understand, to be able to say, could you tell me more about that? I don't want to make assumptions about what I think you mean. I want to make sure that I'm hearing you clearly. And so that's my version of saying, I have no idea what you're talking about, but I don't want to say I have no idea what you're talking about. I want to say it a little more skillfully. So I'm going to say, is it okay if I ask you some questions about that? So also one thing that I'm very sensitive to in spiritual direction in general and around sexuality in particular is trauma. And so to be very mindful about how I ask my questions, how I'm observing the person's body language, what I'm noticing, paying attention to tone of voice, always asking permission, always respecting the choice and personal agency of the directee, always paying attention to the dynamics of power between us, and sometimes talking about that as well. So it wouldn't be unusual for me to say, if at any point you would like us to stop talking about this, just let me know. If I ask you a question that doesn't feel right to you, I want you to know it's okay for you to tell me and you don't have to answer any question I ask you. Let's talk for a moment, Karen, about physical touch. We are speaking in still in, in the thick of the pandemic. So we are speaking from hundreds of miles apart. And practically, I'm guessing just about everyone who is meeting with their directors and companions and therapists is meeting virtually. But before this, and probably when this is over, folks will go back to gathering in a space in a room and sitting together. What are your thoughts on hand-holding, hugging, any kind of physical touch in the spiritual direction of spiritual companionship space? It's such an important question, and I'm kind of taking it in slowly because we are in this weird time right now. And also because I don't assume that my boundaries are the same as everybody else's boundaries, meaning some people are huggers, some people are not huggers. People who are not big huggers are not being mean or withholding or selfish. It's really what everybody's comfort level is. And I think that physical touch can be incredibly kind, caring, and compassionate. And it can also be an obstacle even if it's not traumatic or disrespectful. So for example, if a directee is talking about grief and they're crying and the director leans over and takes their hand or maybe even sort of touches their forearm in a very gentle, respectful way that is in no way you know, a violation of power or abuse of power or any of those things, even if all of that is true, it still may inadvertently shut down the person's experience of whatever is unfolding in them in their tears. And we don't want to get in the way of what's unfolding for people. So at the same time, we also don't want to be perceived as being cold or unfeeling or lacking in compassion. So there are lots of ways to energetically express that to people. So sometimes what I'll do is just with my own physical energy, focus on, we're in prayer when we're listening to people. So I will, with that spirit of prayerfulness, to transmit a sense of compassion to that person. 
without having to put a hand on them necessarily, not only because I don't want to cross a boundary inappropriately, but also because I don't want to interfere with the full range of openness for them to explore whatever is coming up for them. Now, having said that, I also always ask people, would you like a hug? And if you, it's okay to say no. I always want to give people permission. My spiritual director hugs me every time and I love it. And I have never felt that she didn't respect my boundaries. And I also felt like if I said to her, you know what, not today, she would totally understand. I also think that there are ways to engage physically without having to make contact with the person. Like we're having to learn some of this while sheltering in place. As somebody who works somatically with people, now we have the screen to work with. So it's actually a place to be creative. So there might be a way in which somebody might, let's say they're going to do like a hand-washing ritual. So what's interesting that it doesn't necessarily have to do with sexuality, but it does have to do with sensuality, then they can get their own bowl, fill the bowl themselves, have a towel, because I can't do it for them because we're not in the same room. I still may guide them through a ritual in the same way. The experience is going to be different. And my hope is in some ways more empowering for them because then they have done it themselves. And it's something they can incorporate into their their own spiritual practice on a regular basis. And so just to extrapolate for a second, for someone who's dealing with shame around sexuality, something very simple like a hand-washing ritual, even if you don't ever use the word sexuality, that can have a very calming, soothing, and purifying effect in the experience of just being mindful with the water. Then it's possible to then name that for somebody. If it's a topic that's already, I mean, I wouldn't say to somebody, in case you have any sexual shame, here's something you could, you know, like I wouldn't say it that way. But I might say, how do you imagine you might use this ritual in your own spiritual practice? And then see where they go with it. Earlier, Karen, you used the terms transference and countertransference, and I thought I knew what those meant, and now I wonder if maybe it's something a bit different. Can you define those two terms yes. as an example? So those terms originated in psychoanalysis with Sigmund Freud, and they have been defined in many different ways in the decades since then. Basically, transference is the unconscious and symbolic reactions and attachments that a client or Freud would have said a patient has to the other person, to the therapist or to the clergy person or the teacher or the spiritual director. And the countertransference is that those same reactions that come up in the practitioner, let's say, toward the client. Is countertransference dependent on transference? No. Okay. And I would say countertransference and transference happen everywhere in everyday life. Mm. So I'll give you like a really benign example. If somebody says to you, oh my God, Frederica, you remind me so much of my cousin Debbie. You look like her, you talk like her, even the way you gesture your hands is so much like her. I just can't help but notice that. I mean, that's countertransference. I'm making little air quotes with my fingers here in a way that something from another part of my life, a person in another part of my life, you remind me of that person. And so part of my response to you is from that place of memory. And so I might interpret some of what you say and do through the filter of that projection. Interesting. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
you know, it also has to do with on the positive sense, like the unconscious is so rich and magical. And I don't think transference and countertransference should be pathologized at all. I think there can be a reframing of them, which is to say the, the metaphor, the meaning and the mystery of how we relate to each other that's so much more than what we can consciously be aware of. But in the realm of sexuality, transference and countertransference can also include sexual attraction between director and client in either direction. It can be things like, I want this person to like me, or I'm going to see this directee on a certain day, what should I wear? Or that uh, client or directee talks about an experience that I also have had, and how am I going to make sure that I can put my own stuff aside so that I can listen as fully and completely as possible and not get hijacked by my own countertransference reaction. So the goal is not to never have it, right? The goal is to notice it when it comes up and take it to supervision, to study it and understand. Yeah. And perhaps this is really obvious, Karen, but spell out for us, please, what exactly can occur in that relationship if this goes unaddressed? Like, what are the problems that can arise? I imagine power dynamics is part of that, and maybe there's more to it. But why might a spiritual director or companion want to be sort of vigilant about this to prevent harm from from happening? Well, I think we want to be holding this work and our directees with as much respect and dignity as possible. And to do that, and again, to to really be rooted in that ethical framework, we want to notice what challenges and obstacles come up for us. And if we don't, then some of the things that could happen would be little mistakes we forget an appointment with somebody or we get bored in a session. Oh my God, this person is coming in month after month and they're just talking about the same thing over and over is to be able to go to supervision and say, so the supervisor can say, what happens for you in the boredom? Right, so it's a way to explore it and understand it. So other things that can potentially come up, we forget an appointment for people who charge a fee for direction. We might inadvertently overcharge, undercharge, forget to charge. Somebody misses a session and we feel guilty about charging them for a missed session, even though we've gone over our policy. The desire to be liked is a big one in both directions. And so if you have a session where the person consistently like goes over time, like if your session is 50 minutes or 60 minutes and you don't want to hurt their feelings, so you don't ever say, I'm Mm. sorry, but we have to stop, even though you might have another session coming next. So we have to be aware what our own boundaries are and not just sexual boundaries, but time boundaries, money boundaries, all of those things. Because when we consistently ignore those boundaries, we are sending a message about how we hold our boundaries. I think in the realm of sexuality, it's not that unusual for there to be sexual attraction in spiritual direction or on retreat. When you're in an environment in which there is deep intimacy and an invitation to immerse ourselves in the mystery, we are so out of our comfort zones and letting go of and surrendering you know into into spirituality which is a beautiful thing but also we are a little bit unleashed and so sometimes what can happen there is you know there it, it, it's not even just about like sexual exploitation exactly but 
It could be somebody who's in spiritual direction training falling in love with the teacher or a teacher falling in love with a student or having sexual attraction in that arena or somebody questioning their sexuality or questioning their gender identity or again, those qualities of potency and mystery and possibility, stuff comes up. And so if we try to act like those things aren't there, then sometimes what happens is those things get bigger and louder and scarier until we pay attention to them. I mean, our current political climate would be an excellent example of that. This is one of those conversations where I started out, I had my like seven questions written down and I just asked one and then we just went in all these great directions with it. <laughs> so <laughs> look back over my list. We've, we've actually covered a lot of this ground. Do you want to throw out a couple more just in the interest of time? Yeah. And I'm, I'll try. I know I can be a little long winded and I apologize for oh, that. It's so rich, Karen. I love it. Okay. Um, well, let's do a little, you can rapid fire me a couple okay. of questions and I'll, I'll be more succinct in my words. Okay, here's one. So when in a spiritual direction or spiritual companionship session, might the director or the companion notice that they've reached a point where they need to refer their client to someone else, someone with a different skill set and training and expertise like a sex therapist? I just want to make sure I understand the question. Like, how would somebody know when to do that? Yeah, how would you know when when to do that? This is a big question. I'm sure what are some what are some indicators that would be helpful to keep in mind when it is now important to encourage your client to go to someone else with training and expertise? That's Different a really training. good question and especially because it requires the director to notice what their own internal cues are. So if the directee or client is asking a question or talking about a subject and you as a director end up feeling like, I have no idea what to do with this, or I think this is outside the bounds of spiritual direction, or I think this is a mental health issue, to not judge themselves for their discomfort and it doesn't mean that they have failed as a spiritual director. It means like if your teeth hurt, you go to the dentist. So if a directee is bringing up something like sexual abuse as an example, because it does happen sometimes in spiritual direction that people remember or the director may be the first person that they've told. And you can ask the person, would it be okay if there was a time when I felt like you might need some additional support? Would it be okay for us to talk about it? Right? So not to say to somebody, you need a therapist to talk about Like the way we say that is very important. So you don't, I wouldn't want the person to feel judged or pathologized, but just to say, because I really care about what you're sharing here and I want to make sure you get the support you need, I am wondering if talking to a therapist might be advisable. That's good, Karen. Thank you. I want to go in kind of a different direction. I don't know if this will end up making it into our series, but I touched on it a bit with Beverly Dale. And I want to ask you about the role of a spiritual director in opening up the realm of possibility for their client to explore or experience union with God or the divine through pleasure, through mm. ecstasy. 
through erotic experiences. This is something that feels like it's still so terribly taboo. And it's, it's sort of like represented in all kinds of weird ways in media. And I'll speak for myself. I feel like I don't get a whole lot of examples of, of you know, writing and reading that are really diving into the divine erotic or kind of communing with the divine or with God through pleasure and through eroticism in ways that are just, just really feel very authentic and honoring. And I am wondering how might a spiritual director open that door with a client? I think it's a fantastic topic. And I would never assume that how one person might explore it would be how another person would explore it. So I can't imagine myself being prescriptive in any way. We think about spirituality and sexuality as being separate from one another. And yet, even in traditional religion, we have the Song of Songs, right? We have the sensuality of the Sabbath. We have the Eucharist. We have purification rituals. We have baptism. We have the mikvah. We have all of these embodied practices that are in traditional religious communities that you wouldn't necessarily characterize as, quote, sexual, but they are powerful, they're embodied, and they're sacred. And so I think that's the way that I would frame things is like, how do you experience powerful, embodied holiness in your life? Right, without putting in there, I might never use the word orgasm in a session with a spiritual director, with a directee, that was an interesting slip, but somebody might. Or people talk about what happens in prayer, what happens in embodied prayer, what happens in yoga, what happens in chanting and drumming and dancing and in the sensual realm. I don't want sexuality to be relegated to quote, sexual behavior Mm -hmm. in in whatever cultural ways we've been taught that's supposed to look. It's like a dog rolling around in the grass. It should be like that. It's our natural joy and pleasure is part of the sacred is it should be in my ideal world as natural as the dog rolling around in the grass. Like, and that's an image. I might even use an image like that. The freedom that that animal feels to be in its body And to feel that sense of sensual pleasure, that doesn't have anything to do with sex per se, but it's an image that most people can relate to that feels most of the time relatively neutral and universal. I love that. I love that. That's a wonderful, yeah, invitation into sensuality and into um, awareness of our embodied state, because that feels probably a lot more accessible to many I think sexuality and spiritual direction is a place in which there are elements of prayer, there are elements of societal power dynamics, there are elements of trauma, there's ancient wisdom, there are all these different facets of sexuality and spiritual direction. And my hope is that a community like SDI is a place for us to explore those overlapping areas together because we are in community together. And so that we can learn from all the different ways, all the different wisdom traditions and the ways that we do things, but also to to craft some new, fresh, necessary language and ethics and tools and practices to guide us in our work. I'm always learning from my colleague. Yeah, I hope so too. I think things are moving in that direction more and more. 
I was having a conversation with a colleague of mine earlier today, and we were talking about the Bible and about she was recalling when she was a child and her grandfather, who was a rabbi, told her that he didn't believe that God had written the Torah. And she was like six years old. And so we got into this conversation about who wrote it and what stories were included and what stories were left out. And I feel like part of what we are doing as a contemporary community of practice as spiritual directors is not only listening for the stories that maybe have not been told before, but we're also writing new stories together. That's beautiful. Thank you, Karen, for being in this space with me and with all of our listeners. And thank you for offering us your wisdom and your experience and also being vulnerable and diving into this topic with us. It's a really important one. And my hope is that people listening will feel like some windows and doors are opening here and there with their clients and with themselves to do some exploring towards greater liberation in their spiritual journey. Absolutely. If you're enjoying this podcast and you want to help us share and spread the word about the life-giving practice of spiritual companionship, you can help us out by subscribing to this podcast through your favorite app. You could give us a like or even write us a review. Thank you for listening. This is Matt Whitney with Spiritual Directors International. Thanks again for listening. Your time and your presence here are deeply appreciated. If you liked this show and would like us to continue making them, please do subscribe now while it's fresh on your mind. Also, we would love to hear from you, so please feel free to send in your comments and suggestions to the email address podcast at sdiworld.org. SDI is the home of spiritual companionship. Learn more about us and our work on our website, sdicompanions.org.